welcome to the Loop Lifestyle Podcast, the number one podcast for diabetics who want to have their cake pop and eat it too. I'm your mentor, Stephanie Johnson. Please welcome our very own member of the Cake Pop crew and graduate of the Have Your Cake Pop and Eat It Too program, Diana Hernandez. She is hosting our Monday Mindset episode. This podcast is recorded live on Instagram. We cover health, wealth, and relationships, the blueprint for transforming your life. So grab a pen and paper, take some notes. I hope you find some value in the information Diana is sharing. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Monday Mindset. For those who are new to today's episode, welcome. For those who've joined me in the past, welcome back. My name is Diana Hernandez, and I'm working with Stephanie Johnson in her program, Loop Lifestyle. If you want to learn more, you can follow her at the underscore cranky underscore pinky, and I'm, I'll also tag her in the comments. So today, I want to talk about compassion fatigue. It's something that can happen to anyone, and, it's, and it can lead to burnout if one isn't careful or aware of the signs and symptoms, it can also coexist with burnout. So a few weeks ago, I talked about burnout as it related to diabetes and how it can manifest as someone feeling frustrated with everything that it tells with needing to take care of a chronic illness that demands 24-7 attention. But for today, I'm just going to talk about compassion fatigue in general. So compassion fatigue is when someone starts to lose empathy or compassion for someone they're caring for, whether it's on a professional or on a personal level. It can include emotional, physical, and spiritual distress. So a lot of healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, social workers in the hospital, or any other healthcare setting are currently experiencing or have experienced compassion fatigue. Other people that may experience compassion fatigue are mental health workers, caregivers, lawyers, people working directly with victims of disasters, trauma or illness, police officers, teachers, palliative care workers, hospice workers, paramedics, therapists, you know, workers in a nursing home, the list goes on. So another term for compassion fatigue is vicarious traumatization or secondary trauma, and it can occur due to being exposed to one case or to accumulative cases that are can be, that can be traumatic. Compassion fatigue can be brought on by a stressful workplace, lack of resources, or just working a lot of overtime, or just two of those things, or all three or other things. One of the main differences between compassion fatigue and burnout is that compassion fatigue has a more rapid onset while burnout kind of occurs over time. Compassion fatigue has a faster recovery and can be less severe if recognized and managed early or being a caregiver to a family member or to someone else is a normal part of that caregiving process or just being a a caregiving professional. But when that feeling becomes overwhelming, it can lead to someone experiencing compassion fatigue. So what are some symptoms of compassion fatigue? It can include sleep disturbances, mood swings, becoming easily irritable. There can be a decrease in cognitive abilities. People can start to isolate from their family or friends. There's a lot of a loss of self-worth. Spirituality and worldviews can be impacted. There can be a loss of hope and meaning. People can become pessimistic. There can be an increase in negative thoughts or there can be anger towards certain people or world events. So again, a small reminder that compassion fatigue doesn't develop overnight. It develops over weeks and sometimes it can take years before compassion fatigue surfaces. Compassion fatigue can also leave you feeling anxious about the world around you and you can also leave you feeling depressed. You may start to question your own strengths and abilities and start to question your effectiveness as a professional or as a caregiver in general. Compassion fatigue can also show up as exhaustion, appetite changes, having digestive 
problems and or headaches. So you're probably thinking, okay, Diana, so if I think I'm experiencing compassion fatigue, what do I do about it? Or maybe you're thinking, how can I prevent compassion fatigue? So there's a few things that people can do. First one, self-care. Yep. Self-care, people. I've talked about self-care in a previous Monday Mindset episode, so you can refer to that episode about where it talks about self-care. But self-care, it can include eating three meals a day, staying hydrated, getting seven to nine hours of sleep, staying active, listening to your favorite type of music, singing, dancing, getting a massage, taking bubble baths, going for walks, reaching out to friends, meditation, prayer, etc. There's a bunch of self-care stuff that you can do. Something else that you can do to combat compassion fatigue is learning to set emotional boundaries. So setting emotional boundaries helps to maintain a connection while still remembering and honoring the fact that you are a separate person with your own needs. You can set emotional boundaries by taking short breaks throughout the day to close your eyes, focus on your breathing, and putting your hands on your heart to send yourself some compassion. Because you deserve the same type of love and compassion that you give to others. If we can't help ourselves, how can we continue to help others. You have to put on your oxygen mask first before you can put it on someone else. So I talk about emotional boundaries because I feel like physical boundaries can be a little easier. You are putting a physical boundary when you get off work, when you clock out and you go home, right? You're, it's a physical boundary that you're putting between yourself and your work or between you and your patient or between you and your client. But when it comes to emotional boundaries, I've experienced it myself where you can't let go of how you're feeling towards the, the client, the patient, their situation. I know when I first started off as a critical care social worker working in intensive care unit, ICU, it was hard because you know, and unfortunately, when you're working in the ICU, you do see and you see a lot of death, right? You see a lot of families having to make really difficult decisions about what kind of treatment to take, what to do with their family member, whether or not they wrote an advanced directive and they know or don't know what their family's members' wishes are. And it was hard to see that time and time again. There were situations where I would have five different conversations about the same thing. What do you want to do? Do you want to put them on life support? Do you want to take them home on hospice? Do you want to extubate and have them, you know, die peacefully or they'll take their own course? And so it was hard for me to separate myself from the situation, from the people. And as a Spanish speaker, I it was it's especially tough for me to emotionally separate myself from the Spanish speaking families. I think I tend to be a little bit more biased towards them just because a lot of Spanish speakers don't understand or don't know the healthcare system or a lot of the medical terms that the doctors might be using are just too complicated or it's just very confusing getting a lot of information in one sitting or over the course of many weeks or you know getting your hopes up because your family member is doing better and then all of a sudden they're declining and you don't you're not understanding why so it was really hard to emotionally separate myself from those kind of conversations and people but something that I learned is exactly what emotional boundaries is and exactly what I said is I was still to learn how to emotionally separate myself and remind myself okay this family member is not my dad it's not my mom it's not my sister it's not my best friend it's not my cousin it's not my grandma it's another human being but I don't have to get emotionally involved right so learning how to separate myself was really helpful because I was still able to be there for them but without taking it home to my family or to my my own personal life so again really being able to separate yourself while still maintaining that empathic connection that you sometimes do need when you're working with individuals in a healthcare setting or just in any setting in general so anyways 
Moving on to something else you can do to combat fashion fatigue is journaling. Maybe you don't know what to write about, so you can easily Google journaling prompts to kind of help you. You don't necessarily need to journal about your day or how you're feeling, unless you want to, of course. It's okay to journal about something completely different. So some examples of journaling prompts that I've seen are writing what you're grateful for or who you're grateful for, journaling one of your happiest memories, maybe it's journaling about something that you're looking forward to doing later that year or that week or the weekend. It's maybe what your bucket list might consist of, writing about what a perfect day will look like for you, any future goals, places that you'd like to travel to, highlights of the day or the week, lyrics to your favorite song, etc. You can literally Google journaling prompts and you'll find a bunch. If in case can't you don't want to think in case you don't want to journal about where you're going through, about what you're feeling, you can definitely do other stuff. So something else you can do is engaging in a hobby that is very different from your caregiving role or job. So volunteering wouldn't be that kind of hobby. So for me, the new thing is swimming. I'm not having to deal with people or talk to people at all. I can swim in silence and just focus on the movement of my arms, my legs, and my breathing. It's a place of serenity for me. As much as I like being with my family or friends, sometimes I don't feel like talking to anybody or listening or giving advice. And sometimes I just want to watch Netflix and not talk to anyone, just kind of be in my own bubble. But swimming is a bit more productive than just watching Netflix. So I've recently incorporated swimming into my weekly routine and I do strive to swim 30 times a week. So if you don't have a hobby yet, find something that lets you have fun and be creative. It can be gardening. It can be making candles, making soaps. What else? It can be going for walks. If you have little kids, you can be doing art projects with them. If you live alone, it can be exercising or it can be a hobby of just doing painting. Maybe you like to paint, color, do coloring books. I don't consider myself a super creative person. So I sometimes do enjoy like the coloring by numbers because I don't have to think about it. It's literally just okay, blue is one, red is three, and you know, just kind of coloring that in. So that can also be another hobby. So there's a lot of a lot of things out there. Again, if you need help Googling what kind of co- hobbies there are, maybe something might call your attention. And it, you know, it's again, figuring out what is it that you like to do. And last but not least, something else that you can do is going to therapy. Therapy or a therapist can help you process your feelings if you're having a hard time doing that on your own and, it, and can help you implement strategies on how to combat compassion, passion fatigue and maintain a healthy work-life balance. So these are just some of the things that you can do to prevent compassion fatigue or fix compassion fatigue. But I think one of the main things is just, again, being aware of the symptoms of what compassion fatigues look like and being self-aware if that's what you're going through, if that's what you're experiencing, if that's what you're starting to notice. But it's always good to just check in with yourself, you know? Maybe it's before work. Maybe it's after work. Maybe it's during work. How do I feel? How, you know, why do I feel this way? What can I do so that I don't feel this way? What do I need right now? Maybe you need a basic need. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you maybe you need water. Maybe you need rest. Maybe maybe you need a hug. You know, who knows? It can literally, you've got to, again, be self-aware of what your needs are and what you need at that moment. And if you can't get what you need at the moment, make it a mental note. Okay, I think when I get home, I'm going to hug my dog. I'm going to tell my husband, my wife, my partner to hug me just for five minutes, for 30 seconds, whatever you need. I know in healthcare, it's kind of hard to take breaks, but standing up for yourself and advocating like, hey, I just need a five minute break or going to the bathroom and instead of it taking you two minutes, maybe extend it to six minutes. You never know. And actually taking your 30 minute lunch break or your one hour lunch break, whatever lunch you have. I know sometimes in the hospitals, you'll get a code and then there goes your lunch. But again, it's advocating for yourself. 
what do you need? What do you need that day? And how can you address that need? So that's pretty much all I had. I think it's important for us to all just be aware of our own signs and symptoms. And also, you know, if you have coworkers that you feel are experiencing that, bringing, bringing it up to them very gently or making them aware like, hey, I've noticed this and I've noticed that and you're not normally like this. You know, is there anything I can do? Do you need help? You know, is there anything? How can I support you? You know, and it's validating their emotions and their thoughts, letting them know that they're not alone and feeling that way, but that you care about them and you want to make sure they're okay. So I hope this was helpful. I hope it, it, like I said, it is a very important topic given the fact, and I hate that I have to surround it through, have to tie it back to COVID. And I know I don't have to, but especially for healthcare workers or pretty much, I think anybody actually grocery store workers, anybody who's been having to work through this pandemic, even if you're not working through the pandemic, compassion fatigue is real. It's there. And again, I just want you all to start being self-aware of your own signs and symptoms as they can manifest in many different ways, in many different, in many different ways for different people. So I hope you guys all took some knowledge from this and are going to apply it to your own lives um, or help others. So I really appreciate you all being here today and listening to today's Monday Mindset. Feel free to drop some comments or questions or anything that you need or anything that you'd like to share. I'm here for you all. So thank you. And I'll see you all guys next. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate you very much. If you love this episode, please take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Tag me at the underscore cranky underscore pinky for Instagram and at the cranky pinky for Facebook. You can find the application for mentoring at the link in my Instagram bio at the underscore cranky underscore pinky. Get your application in. We'll have a chat and see if the Have Your Cake Pop and Eat It Too program is right for you. Until next time, stay in the loop.